Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are continually getting messier and messier in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to continue to say thanks to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way toward our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all of that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Lee Christoffels. Um, you know, we talked about how it's this lack of understanding of the authority of God's word. And and as we were talking about preaching, I, I feel like, and uh, I don't want to, but I'm going to go there. Um I feel like we've gotten to this place of lack of authority of God's word because of the way God's word has been preached in, in pulpits in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've preached more along the lines of just the authority ends up being in the preacher rather than in God's word or in the stories that they're using or how effective they can tell a story. And uh, and then people end up putting their, you know, they see the pastor as authoritative rather than God's word. And so and for me, and I think I think you're on the same page with me. I, I'm kind of known for being a heavy expositional preacher, like emphasizing that because that just puts God's word as the authority, kind of the authoritative voice of of what I'm saying. And I just had this um, crazy experience yesterday um, mm-hmm. at worship where uh, we had a group of people, um, sh- new people, showed up at our church and. And I got to talk with them a little bit and, uh, and then they left and I didn't really get to have a full conversation with them. But, uh, one of my elders came up to me afterward and he said, do you know why they came to our church? No, I, I, I didn't ask him that. I was just getting to know them. And he said, they have been looking for solid expositional preaching and they can't find it anywhere. So they drove 40 minutes to our church Wow! because they could find solid expositional preaching here. And I thought, well, yay. I'm glad, like, I'm glad they, yeah. they're doing solid expositional preaching. That's exciting. But the other side of me went, that's really sad that they had to drive that far to it find is. someone who's doing expositional preaching. All they found were people kind of telling story after story after story. Yeah. I think there's such a tendency to do that because we think it might be cool and more attractive. Like people really don't want to hear the word of God. They just want to hear cute things that you say. Well, 
um, it's not going to last. You're going to wear out. But the word of God never wears out. You know, we, we have that text that we often say, you know, the, the, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. It does. And we, if we have that confidence, we will preach it that way. And it needs to be done. I, I give thanks for our pastor, Chad Workhoven, who's our pastor in Worthington. And uh, he preaches expositionally. He explains what the Bible says. And uh, there are people that come to hear him, too, from quite a ways. There was a, there was a young a high school kid that, that drove in 22 miles to come to our church. Um, and his parents weren't pushing him in that direction at all. They don't go to church, I don't think. I'm not quite sure. But he started coming because he wanted to hear expositional preaching of the Word of God. And, um, uh, well, I, I give thanks for that, that um, here's somebody that wants to hear what God says. And that's, that's what we want to cultivate and pray for in the hearts of our people, that they will desire to hear God's Word, not just some some guy standing up there who thinks he knows everything. No, you know, in, in some ways we have nothing new to say. Mm -hmm. It's just the word of the Lord. Um, you know, Benjamin Warfield was a professor at Princeton years ago in the 19 teens and before. And uh, I think he died in 1921 or something like that. But he said, I don't think I've ever come up with anything new. Um, and he, and he was, he was satisfied that way. He didn't need to be an inventor. And yet many still read his books and learn from him uh, mm -hmm. because he exposited what scripture actually taught in his theology. Yeah. Amen. I, I came across a really great quote by John Calvin this past week. He said, God does not send ministers to prattle about things that are unknown or doubtful, but trains them in his school that what they have learned from himself, they may afterward deliver to others. Oh, that's fantastic. And that was that was such a good quote saying he didn't yeah. put you up in the pulpit to prattle on about all these possible things and your own thoughts and opinions. He set you up there to speak about what's true and good and what you know. And yeah. what you know is God's word. And how much and, prattling do we do? When yeah. you really stop and look back and say, oh, I was just prattling. I need to be pronouncing and announcing and declaring with confidence the word of the Lord. Yeah. Amen. And, and most of our prattling just comes from our own self-consciousness and our own desire for men to love us, right? Yeah. We we want people to like us. And so, well, maybe I shouldn't go into that. Maybe I should tell a funny story here or, or whatever. And I mean, there's a point where you have to, you do have to shepherd your flock. You have to get them to the point of being able to understand deeper things of God's word and whatnot. Yeah. But, uh, but the goal is to get there so we can really right. dive deep and help kind of build this foundation. Yeah, Edmund Clowney said you have to open a window and let some light in on the subject once in a while, and that's the purpose of an illustration. The illustration isn't the main thing, but it sheds light or helps to people to see what's there, and that is very helpful, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lee, you had mentioned that uh, you've been ordained uh, in the CRC uh, since 1970. That's 52 years. Right. Uh, unless somebody can check my math wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's right, I think. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I am wondering, you have been in the CRC for an awful long time, and I'm wondering, in that time, um, what, have you what have you come to know about yourself through that many years of ministry, through pulpit ministry, pastoral ministry, um, how God has you know, been sanctifying you and continually used you in these different ways? What have you learned about yourself in these 52 years of ordained ministry? I guess I, one thing to say is I don't think I'm worth that much. 
Uh, <laughs> God didn't save me because I was worthy. And he didn't appoint me as a minister because I was worthy, um, but simply because he wanted to use some instrument. And, uh, you know, I feel utterly privileged that he did use me in this way. And I, I believe he has. I'm confident that he used used me, but it wasn't because of anything I had. And so I, yeah, it's, you do, I think, you, and we need to be reminded, and sometimes we, get, sometimes we get a little puffy headed and we need to get knocked down and somebody pricks your balloon. And um, yeah, I didn't, I'm really not all that, that great. And so people do remind you of that when you're in the ministry, you might as well face it there. They, uh, they like to remind you that you're really not all that great. And uh, you could have said it a whole lot better in a different way or uh, more effectively or something like that. Or, uh, you know, what's your takeaway? Um, yeah, uh, we, 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 we do. And we, and some of those things you can learn from. So I, I also have learned that I need to learn a lot. And I can learn from members of the congregation who might respond in certain ways and uh, remind you, well, you know, that, what, what's this all about? And uh, so you, you learn from the people too. Um, but they, it's, it's God's work, not ours. I think that's one big thing that I've learned over, the, over these, these years. Um, and not, don't worry too much about what other preachers think of you. I'm not, and I, believe me, I love my fellow preachers, and we, and I do think about them, and I'm I'm aware of that all the time. Uh, at the same time, um, my my calling is to answer to to the Lord, but I'm not doing this in a vacuum. So I'm blessed and helped by the the ministers I know and have have benefited from and and grown with, and uh, and many of them are younger men. Obviously, they would be because I'm on the other end of it now. And um, there are more younger ones than, than older ones. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, um, that uh, it's, so, it's so encouraging to know that there are younger pastors and elders and deacons who are standing firm in our Reformed faith. And um, that has been a tremendous encouragement, not only to me, but to others who are older members of, of the church. Yeah. Yeah, I just had uh, there's another lesson I was reminded of by the Lord this last week um, was it's not about me. I, you know, leading up to preaching on Sunday, I always go through my sermon on Saturday night mm -hmm. and uh, I got done going through my sermon. And I remember thinking that was terrible. That was so bad that I, I this is a terrible sermon. I don't know what. And and I'm like, well, this is what I got. So I'm going to preach it. Better do and, it. Uh, and I just kind of went through it. And then when I got up in the pulpit, I said a prayer. I, like I prayed for the congregation, but I said a prayer in my own head and said, Lord, this is bad. I need you help. Hmm. And he did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. by the time I got done preaching, I thought, boy, that was pretty good. And, but it wasn't me, right? Like that yeah. was the Holy Spirit came in and like used my weakness and my frailty and 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 spoke through me each week and it was just again it was one of those reminders where it's like this isn't about you buddy exactly like, your job yeah. is to just keep being faithful and following my leading and i will do the work through yeah. you just keep getting up there each week trusting in me and uh and i'll speak and, and right. i'll move in the hearts of people yeah that's it's that's not an excuse for poor preparation but finally in the end you come to the end of the week and lord this is all i have um, will you use it? Um, and thankfully he does often surprise us. And then somebody will say, yeah, I, I remember that. 
sometimes they remember things you never said yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah. but but you're it's such an encouragement to know that people noticed a certain thing that and you maybe didn't even think that was such an important point in your in your sermon but they they were blessed by that and yeah. uh, learned something from it yeah it's like you you show up on sunday morning and you say all right lord all i've got is um a couple, a few, a few fish and a few loaves of bread here. This is what I've yeah. got. <laughs> Do the blessing of it, and yeah. and he does, and that's yeah. that, it's, it's such a cool experience as well because you just see the Lord using your your efforts and and multiplying them each and every week. It it really is a blessing, but it is a reminder that it's really not about us in the end. Right. And, it yeah. definitely is not. Yeah, Alistair Begg says that he, God gave us wives to to keep our fat heads smaller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that helps too. <laughs> I've been greatly blessed by my wife in that way. <laughs> yeah, Amen, Amen. Well, I wanna I wanna just kind of talk about kind of where we are currently in the CRC and maybe kind of looking toward the future. You know, we just had a a pretty big synod in in twenty twenty two this past year. And, uh, you know, most of the conservatives in the CRC were pretty excited about what that happened. But, mm-hmm. you know, now we're about six months out from that synod or not quite yet. And uh, lots been happening in the denomination. And now, you know, I, I know some conservatives who are really discouraged and frustrated about some of the things that have been going on. And so um, I guess I'd just love to hear for one um you know, what do you think is happening in the CRC? Um, what things do we need to do? to start to kind of keep moving forward with reformation. And then, uh, and this is like three questions. So I'll re-ask maybe. I'm noticing that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then just maybe some encouraging words for, for conservatives in the midst of this fight. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, if God began a good work this year, we need to trust him to continue that work. Um, It should not be thought that, this is easy. Um, it never was easy, never will be. And um, if you think of how the, you know, the reformers didn't change everything overnight either, as great as they were. And, um, uh, and the, it, it does take time um, and serious effort to, uh, to move forward. So I think a good beginning was made, and I'm, I'm just tremendously thankful for um those of you who were there and were able to to uh, um, stand firm in our faith and in in the confessions and I think that's what has happened and you were you were under great pressure I, I think about what um, Paul wrote uh, in second Corinthians 11 where he describes the the pressures he felt of being stoned and shipwrecked and constantly on the move and left for dead and um knowing cold and hunger and, and all of those things, um, that isn't literally what you necessarily had that you were cold and hungry, but, um, you know, he says, who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. Uh, and then there's this grand conclusion of the whole thing. If Paul was so great, it ends up, I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall, uh, and, uh, slipped through the hands of the king. Um, a lot of times you may have felt that way, um, but God was at, was at work. So we have to begin there. God was at work. And then be confident he will continue to lead. Now, we don't stick our heads in the sand. So there's a lot to do 
in preparing, in thinking about, in thinking wisely about the next synod, making sure that we have solid, solid delegates there who are committed to the confessions wholeheartedly and not leave out certain things. You know, so the, this whole um, uh, end run around confessional subscription should be recognized for what it is. Um, taking the gravamina against this uh, one point in question 108 of the catechism is, um, is sneaky, um, I think, frankly. Um, it, it, we didn't ever envision gravam, gravamina to be ways of taking exception to the confessions. Uh, we have to keep in mind integrity. Now, some people say, well, for the sake of integrity, I had to take a gravamina. No, you are not in. There is no integrity if you say, I sign this formula of subscription or this covenant for office bearers. I agree with this doctrine, except I don't agree with all of it. Mm -hmm. um, that is not integrity. So I think we need to return to a clear understanding of what confessional subscription really uh, means. Now, I think this is not new. Already we mentioned the experience of the church in 1834 in the Netherlands. But, you know, in our own denomination, in the teens, probably, I don't know when it came up first, but there was a, uh, an effort uh, in, the, in the middle of the last 20 years or so to change the form of subscription. So that's how we ended up with the covenant for office bearers. But there was an, I think there was a genuine attempt by, made by some to uh, get us to have a weaker um, covenant for office bearers so that it didn't really, you didn't, we admired it. You can damn something with faint praise um, and say, yeah, we sure like our catechism. Now, I don't think anybody was quite gonna say it that way, but you know, I'm probably overstating it. But there was an effort, I think, to weaken what confessional subscription was. And thankfully, there were strong elders and people who came through and said, no, we are not going to accept that. We need to have a strongly worded document. If we're not using the old form of subscription, then this wording needs to be there. Okay, so we got that done. Well, now we're coming up with these excuses for not accepting the understanding that Synod gave to the word chastity. Um, and uh, uh, it's an end run around the confessional, uh, around confessional subscription, I'm convinced. This is not what was intended when we made uh, this important, and it was not intended by the Synod of Dort that you would uh, you would you would say, yeah, this is our doctrine. Except that we don't believe all of it. No, um, we we do accept it. Now, do we um, um, we do we say ninety eight percent of it is is good? No, we say all of it. We 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 accept everything, and if you don't want that. There are other places that you can be to you can you can be in fellowship with other other Christians. They're fine Christians, perhaps, but um, this is where we stand, and I think we need to continue to stand there uh, if we will be a blessing to the world. Uh, yeah, yeah. What what do you think is behind that? Because this is part of what I've been trying to figure out, and uh, just talking with my wife this morning again about it. My confusion around. Um, you know, conservatives, like if, if this past synod would have gone differently, conservatives would have just left and found a place to stay, like where they could serve in good conscience. Right. Um, but progressives 
they, they don't want to leave. They, 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 you know, if I, I think if integrity would be okay, we can no longer be part of this denomination. We need to go find a different place to serve where we can serve in good conscience. Instead, their natural tendency is to say, is to do what I call like church order, like jujitsu to try to like flip it around to make it do whatever, you know, to be able to stay. And, and for me, I look at that and I say, that's just not a move of integrity. That's a move of deceit and sneakery and trickery and, and all of this. And yet, so like, what's going, what do you think is going on where they just, they want to stay so bad or, or why they don't leave and find another place to, to serve? Part of it is tradition. Um, this is this is what we've been all along, and it's a lot easier to stay where where you are. And I have wrestled with that myself. However, and I don't want to judge any individual's salvation. Um, I'm not speaking about that, but I I go back to J. Gresham Machen's book, Christianity and Liberalism, and the and is important. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two different religions. Um, and liberalism has grown in many denominations, and it stuck its head into ours as well. We, we're, I think we're openly, we're seeing that because it's far more open and, and um, uh, advanced. Um, people advance these ideas more openly than they ever did um, before. It's just, it's been increasing little by little. But so, but liberalism um, cannot exist by itself. It's a parasite. It always needs historic confessional orthodoxy to survive. So while it fights against that and wants the church to be uh, um, letting loose on things or begin to to uh, compromise with the current cultural move, um, it can't survive without that. So I think that um, those who take that revisionist side on on more than one topic, but this one, the, the famous one from 2022 um, is human sexuality. But I think that um, usually it's because it depends upon having someone else to convert. Um, if, uh, if they just left, well then, you know, and I, I guess they would say that they would be leaving all the, all of the poor people that are uh, dealing with some of these issues directly left in in the hands of the conservatives and how terrible they would treat them. I don't believe the conservatives would treat them terribly. Um, that has not happened. Uh, yes, there are people who who maybe don't understand these things or are just plain nasty. I don't know, um, but I believe most even conservatives are very much interested in bringing people to live for the glory of the Lord and to, to help people who deal with sin. And we all deal with sin, but uh, I think conservatives are, uh, are not just trying to be harsh and say, well, this is, this is what uh, the problem is, but conservatives uh, really want to not leave people in a dangerous path. You know, the book of Hebrews in chapter two uh, warns um, don't let um don't just drift. Um, be careful. There's this drifting that l- will lead you in the wrong way. Uh, Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four, stre- stress that that point. So um, we can't just be drifting. We need to be anchored somewhere. Where are we anchored? 
And uh, the only, only if we are anchored in Christ will we have any way of helping people who struggle sexually or in any other sin, and, and they're all part of one package. Sin is sin. We were born with it. Um, you know, in Adam's fall, we sinned all, as the old um, New England primer put it. That's mm. true. Uh, we sin because we're sinners, not the other way around. It's not like, like uh, oh, yeah, we collected a few sins, so now I guess we can be labeled sinners. That's the liberal view, technically, um, that, you know, well, you, if you add up all your sins, well, then if you have 20 sins instead of 10, then you might be a sinner, or if you could you only, maybe you had three, however many they go by. Um, but sin is sin. And in Adam's fall, we sinned all. So that's why we need to be dealing with that. Um, in With the gospel, the, the gospel alone can change and transform lives. That's why um, we should be deeply concerned when, when um, a person is left to go on their own way. Uh, instead of being brought to repentance and faith in Christian love, definitely in Christian love. Really, there's no such thing as loveless orthodoxy. Um, you're not orthodox if you're loveless. Um, but there are people, I'm sure, who have acted like that and tried to pretend they were orthodox. But I don't see that as a problem among those who desire to be orthodox. They love people and want to bring them to eternal life. That's the goal, to bring them to Christ, who is our life. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I think that has just blatantly been a false accusation mm -hmm. uh, coming out of this past synod. And uh, it's frustrating to me that the editor of the banner just continues to double down on that accusation of, of synod. And yet I think, I guess I would challenge anybody to go back through, I've been interviewing conservative pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church for the last two years and tell me where they're being loveless. Right. Um, I haven't experienced that. No. Um, and I've actually heard numerous people who've come in listening to my podcast, expecting to find a lovelessness and a hardness here. And they say, oh, we don't see that in any of these guys. These guys are really just great, solid, caring people. And uh, I think there's this misunderstanding of where, like, I am willing to be a little harsh, not loveless, but harsh with false teachers. Hmm. I'm going to treat them different than I'm going to treat the brokenhearted sinner. And exactly. uh, and I've said, you know, even Jesus, if you if you, somebody encouraged me to do this at the beginning of my ministry, and I forget um, who it was, but they said, read through the Gospels and and mark in the margin of your of your Bible every time Jesus uses a soft word and every time Jesus uses a hard word. Hmm. And so I did that. And then I went through and tried to look at like, when did Jesus choose to use hard words? And when did Jesus use soft words? And, and I've kind of had this principle throughout my ministry based on that, where Jesus used soft words for soft hearts and Jesus used hard words for hard hearts. And, uh, and he used hard words for false teachers as well. Well, and uh, leaders should be held more closely accountable. Uh, even yeah. I think, isn't it James that said that in James three, verse one. Right. And then um, in second John, I believe it is, there's a, um, um, a statement there that John, the apostle of love, uh, says, don't have anything to do with these false teachers. Don't let them in. Don't give them a platform. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we don't let we don't let false preachers into our pulpit. That's why we have examinations at a classes meeting of a newly uh, of, uh, of a young man that's going to be newly ordained. They need to be examined 
for what they believe and where they where they stand because we're just not going to open our pulpits to anybody um but you know so he he says do not take him i'm looking at uh second john verse 10 if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching do not take him into your house or welcome him anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work so we there is a, a a high standard for the preachers and teachers false teachers need to be held accountable that's not loveless uh, that is loving the sheep and protecting them from the wolves that come in, uh, which which we need to be aware of. Yeah, amen. And I think it's also important to point out, it's not just once a pastor passes their ordination exam, they're good. Um, we <laughs> yeah. also, I mean, we have, it's not just a one and done kind of a thing. That's why we have all of these other structures in our church order to bring pastors under discipline and yeah. not just discipline you know, what I've noticed over the years is the only time I ever see a pastor brought under discipline is for a matter of life. Um, we're very afraid to bring someone under discipline for a matter of doctrine. And I think, boy, we've really messed up because scripture repeatedly says, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Right. And both are both will cause you to come under discipline. If you falter, if you wander off the path in your life, you can come under discipline. And if you wander off the path in your doctrine, you also should come under discipline. And so, um, but there's this idea that like, hey, this guy's been passed by his classes. He's passed his whatever. How dare we come back and say he's a false teacher? And it's like, well, maybe he was sneaky back then. Yeah, or maybe yeah. he deviated and needs to be corrected. We've all needed to be corrected over our years in ministry where people ha- say, maybe you should say this differently or maybe you should think about this differently. That's that's part of it. And that's what discipline is. But um, we need to remember that that's a big part of it. And we're not like way out of left field when we're saying we've got pastors in the CRC right now who need to come under discipline for, for teaching falsely. Yeah, because it, it is a false doctrine to... Um, revise your view of what chastity is um that's that's false doctrine as much as denying the divinity of christ uh now the divinity of christ is um maybe uh uh, more obvious and and crucial uh in in many ways but it the fruit of it is in your in your the whether you live a godly life or not and if you if, if you believe in the divinity of christ then and in his atonement for us, his dying for us, then um, it's natural to also be concerned about how we live. Do we live a godly and holy um, life? Yeah. Lee, so appreciate that. And I'm just wondering, kind of as, as we draw this to a close, um, you know, with the things that we've been reflecting on, um, the things that you've been paying very close attention to, and the things that are before us, obviously, we have classes that have met and will continue to meet right. um, as well as preparations for Synod 2023. Um, what are some things that you would kind of leave our listeners with um, as somebody who's been in pulpit ministry for a long time and who's seen the Christian Reformed Church change and uh, who's in the midst of seeing change right now? I'm wondering what would your final words on this podcast be uh, to those who, you know, are church leaders or who occupy you know, the presbytery, how would, how would you give them counsel right now? I was, I, I actually, uh, I knew you were going to ask something like this. So I jotted down a couple things oh, and you uh, let me, I cheated. Right. So I, this, in this way, the conversation has a little paper here. Um, the first thing I, I have in my head is pray, 
pray for the whole church for repentance and faith, and that's a gift. So pray for the gift of repentance and faith and for a stronger grounding in the scriptures. That I think would be the first thing, pray. The second thing is keep preaching the word. That's our duty as the church. The church is to preach. It does it through its preachers, but also through its daily uh, witness. Uh, we need to intentionally teach scripture uh, with a liberal use of our confessions. The confessions need to be sprinkled in constantly into our, our preaching. Uh, let the forms of unity truly unify us around what we believe and not just our tradition or our ethnic uh, identity. Let our identity be found not in the cultural background that one has or another, but uh, and that goes for anyone, but in what God reveals for our faith and life. So secondly, preach the word. Um, the third thing I have in mind is restore the joy and blessing of the Sabbath every Lord's day. Um, God sets a pattern in his own work where he rested on the seventh day and he gave us this. This is a this is not uh, something that started with the Ten Commandments when Moses thundered them from Mount Sinai or God thundered them there, but um, that uh, this rest that, G that God took is the pattern for our rest, and the Ten Commandments tells us that. The Fourth Commandment tells us that very clearly. So uh, that means the whole Lord's Day. They view it as a, as a day of joy. So we come to church in the morning, but we also return later in the day for um, uh, uh, worship the second time. And we worship the second time, uh, maybe with a special focus on a lot of teaching. That's where you get your teaching done. And we need to really do a lot of that. Um, my fourth thing is to send sound, discerning, biblically literate, confessionally committed delegates to the next synod. Um, mm -hmm. That's a big order, but um, you know, it's, it's what we really need to do as, as the church. And then uh, the last thing, is uh, recognize that the most important step to be taken is to call upon the Lord for his work and his action. Um, yes, we have to work, uh, but re reformation and revival don't come by human planning and strategizing, much as we, obviously an army has to have a strategy, uh, but it's the Lord who gives the victory in the end. Um, and we need to pray that he will raise the dead, wake up the sleepy, rouse the lethargic, and get us going in, um, in standing firmly in our faith. And uh, one passage that keeps, in, that keeps coming to my mind in that regard is from the book of Judges, chapter 5, the song of Deborah and Barak. Um, and uh, in there is this neat text. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? By the, or by the, by the, uh, yeah, by the ships. Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. And then it adds this. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali um, on the heights of the field. So, there were people who, who just stayed back. They didn't help. They didn't come into that battle with Deborah and, and, and Barak and, uh, uh, and help in the work that had to be done. It's the Lord who does it. And amazingly, he prompts people to get busy and do things. And uh, so uh, we need to be ready to be used for his glory and for his honor in that way. Um, and uh, so 
you know, get away from the campfire, quit whistling for the flocks and, and get up there and, and uh, do what God is calling you to do, to know and understand and these other four, the prayer, preaching, and uh, remaining, um, uh, teaching the, the confession uh, and sending good delegates to synod. The only way we're going to do that is if we get roused up by the Lord himself. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week to hear Willie and I reflect on some of the current issues in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy Reformation. Reformation.